Letter 80, Part 2 of Letters of John Keats to His Family and Friends Edited by Sidney Colvin This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Nemo To George and Georgiana Keats Thursday, December 31 I will date when I finish. I received a note from Haslam yesterday, asking if my letter is ready. Now, this is only the second sheet, notwithstanding all my promises. But you must reflect what hindrances I have had. However, on sealing this, I shall have nothing to prevent my proceeding in a gradual journal, which will increase in a month to a considerable size. I will insert any little pieces I may write, though I will not give any extracts from my large poem, which is scarce began. I want to hear very much whether poetry and literature in general has gained or lost interest with you, and what sort of writing is of the highest gust with you now. With what sensation do you read Fielding? And do not Hogarth's pictures seem an odd thing to you? Yet you are very little more removed from general association than I am. Recollect that no man can live but in one society at a time. His enjoyment in the different states of human society must depend upon the powers of his mind. That is, you can imagine, a Roman triumph or an Olympic game as well as I can. We with our bodily eyes see but the fashion and manners of one country for one age, and then we die. Now to me manners and customs, long since past, whether among the Babylonians or the Bactrians, are as real, or even more real, than those among which I now live. My thoughts have turned lately this way. The more we know, the more inadequacy we find in the world to satisfy us. This is an old observation. But I have made up my mind never to take anything for granted but even to examine the truth of the commonest proverbs. This, however, is true. Mrs. Ty and Beattie once delighted me. Now I see through them and can find nothing in them but weakness, and yet how many they still delight. Perhaps a superior being may look upon Shakespeare in the same light. Is it possible? No. The same inadequacy is discovered forgive me little george you know i don't mean to put you in the mess in women with few exceptions the dressmaker the blue stocking and the most charming sentimentalists differ but in a slight degree and are equally smokable but i'll go no further i may be speaking sacrilegiously and on my word i've thought so little that i have not one opinion upon anything except in matters of taste I never can feel certain of any truth but from a clear perception of its beauty, and I find myself very young-minded even in that perceptive power, which I hope will increase. A year ago, I could not understand in the slightest degree Raphael's cartoons. Now I begin to read them a little. And how did I learn to do so? By seeing something done in quite an opposite spirit. I mean a picture of Guido's in which all the saints, instead of that heroic simplicity and unaffected grandeur which they inherit from Raphael, 
had each of them both in countenance and gesture all the canting solemn melodramatic mawkishness of mackenzie's father nicholas when i was last at hayden's i looked over a book of prints taken from the fresco of the church at milan the name of which i forget in it are comprised specimens of the first and second age of art in italy i do not think i ever had a greater treat out of shakespeare full of romance and the most tender feeling magnificence of draperies beyond any i ever saw not excepting raphael's but grotesque to a curious pitch yet still making up a fine whole even finer to me than more accomplished works as there was left so much room for imagination i have not heard one of this last course of hazlitt's lectures they were upon wit and humour the english comic writers saturday january second eighteen nineteen yesterday mr and mrs d and myself dined at mrs braun's nothing particular passed i never intend hereafter to spend any time with ladies unless they are handsome you lose time to no purpose for that reason i shall beg leave to decline going again to redall's or butler's or any squad where a fine feature cannot be mustered among them all and where all the evening's amusement consists in saying your good health your good health and your good health and oh i beg pardon yours miss and such thing not even dull enough to keep one awake with respect to amiable speaking i can read let my eyes be fed or i'll never go out to dinner anywhere perhaps you may have heard of the dinner given to thomas moore in dublin because i have the account here by me in the philadelphia democratic paper the most pleasant thing that occurred was a speech mr tom made on his father's health being drank i am afraid a great part of my letters are filled up with promises and what i will do rather than any great deal written but here i say once for all that circumstances prevented me from keeping my promise in my last but now i affirm that as there will be nothing to hinder me i will keep a journal for you that i have not yet done so you would forgive if you knew how many hours i have been repenting of my neglect for i have no thought pervading me so constantly and frequently as that of you my poem cannot frequently drive it away you will retard it much more than you could by taking up my time if you were in england i never forget you except after seeing now and then some beautiful woman but that is a fever the thought of you both is a passion with me but for the most part a calm one i asked dilk for a few lines for you he has promised them i shall send what i have written to haslam on monday morning what i can get into another sheet to-morrow i will there are one or two little poems you might like i have given up snuff very nearly quite dilk has promised to sit with me this evening i wish he would come this minute for i want a pinch of snuff very much just now i have none though in my own snuff-box my sore throat is much better to-day i think i might venture on a pinch here are the poems 
they will explain themselves, as all poems should do, without any comment. Ever let the fancy roam, pleasure never is at home. At a touch sweet pleasure melteth, like to bubbles when rain pelteth. Then let wing fancy wander towards heaven, still spread beyonder. Open wide the mind's cage door, she'll dart forth and cloudward soar. O oh, sweet fancy, let her loose. Summer's joys are spoilt by use, and the enjoying of the spring fades as doth its blossoming. Autumn's red-lipped fruitage, too, blushing through the mist and dew, cloys with kissing. What do then? Sit thee in an ingle when the sear faggot blazes bright, spirit of a winter night, when the soundless earth is muffled and the caked snow is shuffled from the ploughboy's heavy shoon, when the night doth meet the moon in a dark conspiracy to banish vesper from the sky, sit thee then and send abroad with a mind self-overawed fancy high commissioned sender she'll have vassals to attend her she will bring thee spite of frost beauties that the earth has lost she will bring thee all together all delights of summer weather all the fairy buds of may on spring turf or scented spray all the heaped autumn's wealth with a still mysterious stealth she will mix these pleasures up like three fit wines in a cup thou shalt quaff it thou shalt hear instant harvest carols clear bustle of the reaped corn sweet birds antheming the morn and in the same moment hark to the early april lark and the rooks with a busy caw foraging for sticks and straw thou shalt at one glance behold the daisy and the marigold white plumed lilies and the first hedgerow primrose that hath burst shaded hyacinth alway sapphire queen of the mid-may and every leaf and every flower pearled with the same soft shower thou shalt see the field mouse creep meagre from its celled sleep and the snake all winter shrank cast its skin on sunny bank freckled nest eggs shalt thou see hatching in the hawthorn tree when the hen bird's wing doth rest quiet on its mossy nest then the hurry and alarm when the beehive cast its swarm acorns ripe down scattering while the autumn breezes sing for the same sleek-throated mouse to store up in its winter house oh sweet fancy let her loose every joy is spoilt by use every pleasure every joy not a mistress but doth cloy where's the cheek that doth not fade too much gazed at where's the maid whose lip matures ever new where's the eye however blue doth not weary where's the face one would meet in every place where's the voice however soft one would hear too oft and oft at a touch sweet pleasure melteth like the bubbles when rain pelteth let then winged fancy find thee a mistress to thy mind dulcet eyed is ceres daughter ere the god of torment taught her how to frown and how to chide with a waist and with a side 
white as hebe's when her zone sipped its golden clasp and down fell her kirtle to her feet while she held the goblet sweet and jove grew languid mistress fair thou shalt have that tressed hair adonai tangled all for spite and the mouth he would not kiss and the treasure he would miss and the hand he would not press and the warmth he would distress oh the ravishment the bliss fancy has her there she is never fulsome ever knew there she steps and tell me who has a mistress so divine be the palate ne'er so fine she cannot sicken break the mesh of the fancy's silken leash where she tethered to the heart quickly break her prison string and such joys as these she'll bring let the winged fancy roam pleasure never is at home i did not think this had been so long a poem i have another not so long but as it will more conveniently be copied on the other side i will just put down here some observations on caleb williams by hazlitt i meant to say saint leon for although he has mentioned all the novels of godwin very freely i do not quote them but this only on account of its being a specimen of his usual abrupt manner and fiery laconicism he says of st leon quote, he is a limb torn off society in possession of eternal youth in beauty he can feel no love surrounded tantalized and tormented with riches he can do no good the faces of men pass before him as in a speculum but he is attached to them by no common tie of sympathy or suffering he is thrown back into himself and his own thoughts he lives in the solitude of his own breast without wife or child or friend or enemy in the world this is the solitude of the soul not of woods or trees or mountains but the desert of society the waste and oblivion of the heart he is himself alone his existence is purely intellectual and is therefore intolerable to one who has felt the rapture of affection or the anguish of woe as i am about it i might as well give you his character of godwin as a romancer quote, whoever else is it is pretty clear that the author of caleb williams is not the author of waverley nothing can be more distinct or excellent in their several ways than these two writers if the one owes almost everything to external observations and traditional character the other owes everything to internal conception and contemplation of the possible workings of the human mind there is little knowledge of the world little variety neither an eye for the picturesque nor a talent for the humorous in caleb williams for instance but you cannot doubt for a moment of the originality of the work and the force of the conception the impression made upon the reader is the exact measure of the strength of the author's genius for the effect both in caleb williams and st leon is entirely made out not by facts nor dates by black letter or magazine learning by transcript nor record but by intense and patient study of the human heart and by an imagination 
projecting itself into certain situations, incapable of working up its imaginary feelings to the height of reality. End quote. This appears to me quite correct. Now, I will copy the other poem. It is on the double immortality of poets. Bards of passion and of mirth, ye have left your souls on earth. Have ye souls in heaven too, double lived in regions new? Yes, and those of heaven commune, with the spheres of sun and moon, with the noise of fountains wondrous, and the parl of voices thunderous, with the whisper of heaven's trees, and one another in soft ease, seated on Elysian lawns, browsed by none but Diane's fawns, underneath large bluebells tented, where the daisies are rose-scented, and the rose herself has got perfume that on earth is not, where the nightingale doth sing, not a senseless tranced thing, but melodious truth divine, philosophic numbers fine, tales and golden histories of heaven and its mysteries. Thus ye live on earth, and then on the earth ye live again, and the souls ye left behind you teach us here the way to find you, where your other souls are joying, never slumbered, never cloying. Here your earth-born souls still speak to mortals of the little weak. They must sojourn with their cares, of their sorrows and delights, of their passions and their spites, of their glory and their shame, what doth strengthen and what maim. Thus ye teach us every day, wisdom though fled far away bards of passion and of mirth ye have left your souls on earth ye have souls in heaven too double lived in regions new these are specimens of a sort of rondeau which i think i shall become partial to because you have one idea amplified with greater ease and more delight and freedom than in the sonnet it is my intention to wait a few years before I publish any minor poems, and then I hope to have a volume of some worth, and which those people will relish who cannot bear the burden of a long poem. In my journal, I intend to copy the poems I write the days they are written. There is just room, I see, in this page to copy a little thing I wrote off to some music as it was playing. I had a dove, and the sweet dove died and I have thought it died for grieving. Oh, what could it mourn for? It was tied, with a silken thread of my own hands weaving. Sweet little red feet, why did you die? Why would you leave me, sweet dove, why? You lived alone on the forest tree. Why, pretty thing, could you not live with me? I kissed you oft, and I gave you white peas. Why not live sweetly, as in the green trees? Sunday, January 3rd. I have been dining with Dilk today. He is up to his ears in Walpole's letters. Mr. Manker is there, and I have come round to see if I can conjure up anything for you. Kirkman came down to see me this morning. His family has been very badly off lately. He told me of a villainous trick of his Uncle William in Newgate Street, who became sole creditor to his father under pretense of serving him and put an execution on his own sister's goods. 
he went into the family at portsmouth conversed with them went out and sent in the sheriff's officer he tells me too of abominable behavior of archer to caroline matthew archer has lived nearly at the matthews these two years he has been amusing caroline and now he has written a letter to mrs m declining on pretense of inability to support a wife as he would wish all thoughts of marriage what is the worst is caroline is twenty-seven years old it is an abominable matter he has called upon me twice lately i was out both times what can it be for there is a letter to-day in the examiner to the electors of westminster on mr hobhouse's account in it there is a good character of cobbett i have not the paper by me or i would copy it i do not think i have mentioned the discovery of an african kingdom the account is much the same as the first account of mexico all magnificence there is a book being written about it i will read it and give you the cream in my next the romance we have heard upon it runs thus they have window frames of gold a hundred thousand infantry human sacrifices the gentleman who is the adventurer has his wife with him she i am told is a beautiful little sylphid woman her husband was to have been sacrificed to their gods and was led through a chamber filled with different instruments of torture with privilege to choose what death he would die without their having a thought of his aversion to such a death they considering it a supreme distinction however he was let off and became a favorite with the king who at last openly patronized him though at first on account of the jealousy of his ministers he was wont to hold conversations with his majesty in the dark middle of the night all this sounds a little blue-beardish but i hope it is true there is another thing i must mention of the momentous kind but i must mind my periods in it mrs dilk has two cats a mother and a daughter now the mother is a tabby and the daughter a black and white like the spotted child now it appears to me for the doors of both houses are open frequently that so there is a complete thoroughfare for both cats there being no board up to the contrary there may one in several of them come into my room ad libitum but no the tabby only comes whether from sympathy for anne the maid or me i cannot tell or whether brown has left behind him any atmospheric spirit of maidenhood i cannot tell the cat is not an old maid herself her daughter is proof of it i have questioned her i have looked at the lines of her paw i have felt her pulse to no purpose why should the old cat come to me i ask myself and myself is not a word to answer it may come to light some day if it does you shall hear of it kirkman this morning promised to write a few lines to you and send them to haslam i do not think i have anything to say in the business way you will let me know what you would wish done with your property in england what things you would wish sent out but i am quite in the dark about what you are doing if i do not hear soon i shall put on my wings and be after you i will in my next and after i have seen your next letter tell you my own particular idea of america your next letter will be the key by which i shall open your hearts and see what spaces want filling with any particular information 
whether the affairs of europe are more or less interesting to you whether you would like to hear of the theatres of the bear garden of the boxers the painters the lectures the dress the progress of dandyism the progress of courtship or the fate of mary millar being a full true and très particular account of miss m's ten suitors how the first tried the effect of swearing the second of stammering the third of whispering the fourth of sonnets the fifth of spanish leather boots the sixth of flattering her body the seventh of flattering her mind the eighth of flattering himself the ninth stuck to the mother the tenth kissed the chambermaid and told her to tell her mistress but he was soon discharged his reading led him into an error he could not sport the sir lucius to any advantage and now for this time i bid you good-bye i have been thinking of these sheets so long that i appear enclosing them to take my leave of you but that is not it i shall immediately as i send this off begin my journal when some days i shall write no more than ten lines and others ten times as much mrs dilk is knocking at the wall for tea is ready i will tell you what sort of tea it is and then bid you good-bye january fourth this is monday morning nothing particular happened yesterday evening except that when the tray came up mrs dilk and i had a battle with celery stalks she sends her love to you i shall close this and send it immediately to haslam remaining ever my dearest brother and sister your most affectionate brother john end of letter eighty part two